If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open them to Philippians chapter 3. This is the last time that wave crashing will startle me as I'm waiting uh, to speak because this is the last week of breakthrough. Uh, it's been the last six weeks have been incredible. It's been a lot of fun hearing lots of good stories about what Jesus is doing and the different breakthrough groups that we have and the ways that he's moving and uh, the lives of the people of Radiant Church. It's been a lot of fun. And we're going to wrap it up this week uh, by looking at one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I know I say that about every one of them. But seriously, this was the second message. No, actually, my first sermon I ever preached was on this passage. Uh, so I, I just really love this one. And the context for it is the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. And if we're talking about breakthroughs, seeing God come and do things in our life that only he can do, and, and turning us into what only he can make us to be and helping us to do the things that only we could do with him, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's kind of the model for what that kind of life looks like. That guy saw some kingdom of God breakthrough in his life. And as he's writing this book, the letter to the Philippians, a lot of people call it the letter of joy. It's the book of joy in the Bible. And typically when we think of someone that's teaching on joy, uh, you think of someone on TV most likely with really straight teeth and great hair and lots of money. And you think, well, this person can teach on joy because, look, their life is awesome. They must be really happy. But there's a big difference between being happy and being joyful. A big, big difference between the two of them. Paul doesn't tell us how to be happy. Uh, that's not his concern. Happiness is based on your circumstances. But what Paul wants us to know is how we can be joyful as we walk through our life. Because if you're going to be seeking after a breakthrough in your life, if you want to be like Paul and live a lifetime of seeking after God and seeing him intervene in your life and continue to move you forward in your faith, there are going to be some times in your life where you don't have a whole lot of happiness going on. But you still need to remain joyful. If you don't remain joyful, what happens is you, you give up. And this is what Paul says to us. And as he's writing this, he's actually in a sewer. He's writing from a sewer that they've turned into a jail underneath the royal palace. So Saul or Paul, he knows that he's going to go and he's supposed to preach the gospel to the emperor. So his faithfulness to Jesus and his faithfulness to the assignment of God on his life actually leads him to the place where the excrement of the emperor is being poured down on him. There's no light in this place. He's chained with his shoulders against the wall, so his shoulder blades have worn through the skin because of the rocks behind him. They become infected. There's rats that are running around and eating him. And I mean, it's just an absolute horrible place for him to be. None of us would ever want to be there. Some people look and say, well, this is because you haven't been faithful to Jesus that you end up in a place like this. No, Paul has been 100% faithful to Jesus. And yet he ends up inside of a sewer where he's awaiting his eventual execution because of his faithfulness to Jesus. But this is what Paul writes, and it's so important that we, we grasp this and we take hold of it. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, whatever happens, remember the guy who's in a sewer is saying, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul is telling us that we need to rejoice in the Lord as a way to safeguard our faith. Now, the word rejoice means to take great joy in something, to find great pleasure in something. So what he's saying is that if you want your faith to stand the test of time, if you want your faith to continue on so you don't just see breakthrough for six weeks while your church is doing a series, but for the rest of your life, you continue to see kingdom of God breakthrough in your life and accomplish everything he's called you to do and that you become everything he's called you to be 
You have to be someone who rejoices in the Lord. Someone who takes great joy in who God is. Someone that finds great comfort and great delight in who God is. Your circumstances are going to change. There are going to be times that you are happy. There are going to be times that you are sad. Last night, you were watching Michigan, and you felt happy. Unless <laughs> a couple days, we could all be real sad. Because circumstances will dictate whether we're happy or sad. But joy is built on something that lasts. When our joy is in who God is, it remains eternal because God never changes. You can be sitting in a sewer, whether that's nibbling on your toes, and I hope that never happens to any of us. The odds are pretty low that that's going to happen. But even in that situation, you can have a faith that won't be shipwrecked because you're guarding your faith by putting your delight and your joy not in what's happening to you, not in what you see around you, but it's all found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all found in him, in his goodness, in his power, in his compassion, in his mercy, in the future and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. When we put our faith in him, when we, put our, when we become people who say, I'm going to rejoice in who God is, your faith will stand the test of time. Because as you're seeking breakthrough, there are going to be seasons in your life where it's incredibly awesome, and there are going to be seasons in your life where it's incredibly painful. But you can still have joy wherever and whatever happens. And then he continues on, and he says, watch out for those dogs. And I love Nobody says that anymore. Maybe a good thing. But watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. So the second thing that Paul is saying about living a life of seeing breakthrough uh, over the long course is that breakthrough comes from what God has done, not what we do. Uh, what's happened at this time is you have uh, a bunch of people who are Hebrews and they've been following the Jewish law. God said that the, the symbol of the covenant that I have with you is circumcision. And on the eighth day, all of the boys got circumcised. Well, now with the coming of Jesus, we know that the way that we're made right with God isn't by anything that we do, but it's all found on what Jesus has done on the cross. And now our faith is in him for our salvation. Our faith is that we can submit ourselves to him and we can follow after him and trust him with our future and trust him with our everything. But some people are coming along and they're preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are saying, Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, we're going to follow after him, I believe that he saved me from my sins, he's God, he's Lord, I'm going to follow after him. And they're like, all right, great, I'm glad that you've made this decision, and then they pull out the knife and they're like, okay, time for phase two, if you really want to be saved, like, we got to circumcise you. Now, if you're eight days old, you don't have a lot of choice. They give you some sugar water, they do their thing, you never know what happened. But when you're 40, wait, What? <laughs> no, I'm good. I I'm going back to Diana or whoever. Like, I there's no way I'm going to do that. But what they're doing is they're saying that you have to have faith in who Jesus is, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he's God, that he ascended, and now we're following after him as the Lord of our life. And you have to do this thing. Now, anytime you put an and into there, you've we've deviated from the message of Jesus Christ. You've gone back from making it about what Jesus did for you into something that you have to do to see breakthrough in your life. How many times have you been, been saying, like, God, I'm seeking you after you for this thing. Like, I want my children to know you. They're not following after you, God. But I want them to know you deeply and intimately. 
And then sometimes you get this thought, like, it must be because of something. You know, if I would just do this, then, then my kids would know Jesus. Then they would see breakthrough. I have to do this thing. I have to jump through this hoop in order to be able to see God come and to do this thing. Like, that's not true. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself righteous, and there's nothing that you can do to cause breakthrough to happen in your life. Jesus has already done it. We have to rely on him. And that's what it means to trust him. Have you ever tried to, to, to let, like, teach your kids to do something? Like, all right, Ethan, here's how you fill up a car tire. And so he gets out the thing, and he starts pressing on it, and it says, like, 80 pounds. And like, let's just pull that back off a little bit. Like, let's let some air out of there. Like, we get that way with God, though. Okay, God, I trust you that, that you can reveal yourself to my children. Whoa, 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 God, like, let's, let's just back this up. Let me take that back from you real quick. Because we think that we have to do it somehow. We don't do it. We can position ourselves, but we can't make it happen. Jesus alone is the one who brings breakthrough into our life. And when you get that revelation, it will bring peace to you, and you will be able to rest in a confidence. When your faith in God's ability will produce rest inside of your own heart. Breakthrough doesn't come through what we do. It comes through what Jesus has already done for us. And then he continues on. And he says, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I have become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't, say, uh, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, when I get to the end of that passage, I look at Paul and I see everything that he's done. He was the greatest of the apostles. He's the one that wrote most of the New Testament. He started churches. There were signs and wonders, miracles that followed him wherever he went in his proclamation of the good news of Jesus. We see his boldness. We see his perseverance. If we look at anyone and think, that's what I want to be, that's what I want to do with my life, that's what I want breakthrough to produce inside of me, like that guy did it. But what's his attitude? He says, but I haven't achieved this yet. No, but you know what? I'm going to press on. He's an old man. 
He's done so much. God has done so much in him and through him. And he's still hungry. He still hasn't lost that fire. He knows that as long as there's breath in his lung, that there's more of God. He knows that as long as he is on this earth, that there's more that God has for him, that there's more breakthrough for him. And every single day of his life, he's coming back and he's seeking after Jesus and he's wanting more of Jesus. He's wanting more of the fulfillment of the assignment that God's given him, more of the fulfillment of the vision that God gave him for the things that he was to do. He wants to be more of who Jesus created him and called him to be. He wants to do more of the things that Jesus made him to do. Even in the last days of his life, he says, I want more. I haven't achieved it yet, but I'm going after it with everything that's inside of me. I want that Paul kind of spirit. I want that Paul kind of desire inside of my heart that when I get to my final days, I'm even more hungry and even more passionate about what God has for me than I was even now at this point in my life. And Paul then lays out for us how it is that we can have that mindset, how it is that we can live our entire lives, every day of them, seeking after God's breakthrough in our life for the long haul. And the first thing that he says that we have to know and understand is that the price of breakthrough is everything. How much is it going to cost you? What have you got? Because it's going to take all of that. When we look at Paul and what it was that he had to give up, what it was that he had to pay, the price that he had to pay to see God's breakthrough in his life over the long haul. He started out life not as Paul, but he was Saul. And he was someone who everybody wanted to be. If you think about who was the guy in the Hebrew world, like he was the guy. It says that on the eighth day he was circumcised. He entered into that Old Testament covenant with God. It says that he's from the right tribe. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's the real Hebrew if ever there was one. He was insanely intelligent. For him to be promoted to a Pharisee at the age that he was and, and all of the fast tracking that they were doing for him, it meant that as a child he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible word for word. Like, I'm still working on like, memorizing the book of Ephesians, which is five chapters. Like, I'm picking the little ones. Like, maybe I'll do Philemon next. Like, give me the one-chapter books of the Bible to memorize. He memorized the first five books of the Bible, and some think in multiple languages, as a child. His intelligence and his gifting for studying and his passion for God made it so that he got promoted and he was able to go study under Gamaliel, who was the guy for teachers at that time. Only the best and the brightest students got to go and to study under him. Saul, that was his old name, was one of them. He goes and he studies. He does so well there that he's promoted. He's made a Pharisee at a young age. He's advancing. I love that he says this. He was so righteous and so zealous for God that to his awareness, he was faultless in keeping the over 600 laws that they had at the time. Faultless in doing that, to his knowledge. Man, when people looked at him, that's who you wanted to be. That's who you wanted your boys to grow up to be like. That was the guy that you wanted your daughters to marry. He had it all going on for him. He was a political figure. He was being elevated into the, the realm of politics as well to represent the Hebrew people. 
He had absolutely everything going for him. He had created through his own hard work, through his blood, sweat, and tears, and all of his energy, he had created a life for himself that everybody else looked at and thought was incredible. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. The God that he thought that he knew, the God that he thought that he was serving, one day revealed himself to him. And everything changed. Absolutely everything about his life changed. It says that that revelation of God's goodness that he had on the road to Damascus, it changed him so much that he walked away from everything that he had. The whole life that he'd been building for himself, the hard work, the accolades, the awards, everything. He walked away from all of that to follow after Jesus and to be his disciple. This is what it meant for him. It was a loss of position from being fast-tracked to be one of the power players to then going to the place of where he's, he's kicked out of his own organization. It was a loss of power for him. He went from commanding people and having authority over people to being someone who was being chased, who was being tracked down, who was hiding. Uh, they had to lower him in a basket out of a city one time because people were coming to kill him. People took a vow that they would not eat or drink again until they killed him. From having power and authority to being someone who was just completely without power and who was running for his life. He went from having wealth and a comfortable life to being someone who had to become a leather worker to be able to support himself. He went from having the reputation of this is the guy that we all want to be to being someone who was despised and thought to be a traitor to his faith and to his people. It was a loss of friends. It was a loss of family. This isn't in the Bible, but a lot of people believe that for him to have been in that position that he was in, uh, he would have had to have been married off to one of the power player's daughters as a way to, to get influence and to consolidate power. And that when you made a decision to follow Jesus, what would happen is the parents would come and they would take the daughter and the children away from you. You'd be stripped even of your family. Now, we don't know if that happened for Paul or not, but regardless... His decision to follow Jesus and to be a disciple cost him absolutely everything. And it's the same for us. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to mean that it's going to cost us everything as well. It's going to cost us power. It's going to cost us influence. It's going to cost us reputation. It's going to cost us wealth. It could cost us family. It could even cost us our own lives someday. It's what happened to Paul as he went to the place where his own life was laid down so that he could follow after Jesus. Jesus said this himself. I love this. Peter, who I love him because he says dumb things, and I can relate to that. Like, I don't relate to Solomon at all because he's the wisest person to ever live. Like, I relate to Peter who says dumb things. And so Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus is like, that's right. Flesh and blood, meaning other people didn't reveal this to you, but it was God himself who revealed this truth to you. And on this truth that I am the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. And then Jesus immediately begins to say, listen, I'm about to be arrested, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. 
He's trying to like warn them about what's about to happen. This is the way that Jesus is going to become king. This is the way that Jesus is going to defeat sin and death. This is the way that Jesus is going to restore and to reconcile mankind and all of creation. And so what does Peter do? He's like, he, it says that he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus. Number one, don't rebuke Jesus. Like it's never going to go well for you. Like Peter, you got some courage. Jesus, get over here. Don't you ever say that. He says, it'll never happen to you. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. Like he calls out Peter, calls him Satan, and says, you don't have the things of God on your mind. You have the things of men. You see, you don't understand the price that I have to pay to do all of this. You don't understand the price that you're going to have to pay because you're just thinking through things through a human lens. You're just thinking the way that your culture has shaped you and taught you to think. You don't understand the plan of God. You don't understand the beauty of this plan that God has and what it is that's going to come out of it. In fact, if you want to follow after me, if any one of you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and you have to come follow after me. You can't follow after me if you don't carry a cross. He says, if you want to find eternal life, that you have to lose your life for me. He says, what can you exchange for your soul? See, what Jesus is doing is he's telling his disciples right then and there, that there is a call on your life. There is a reward that is awaiting you. I'm inviting you into my kingdom. I'm inviting you into my glory. I'm inviting you into my blessing. But the price is everything. You have to be willing to leave absolutely everything else behind. You have to pick up your cross. That's the instrument of death. It's saying that you have to be willing to die in every area of your life if you want to follow me. I know that, that's real seeker sensitive, right? Like, <laughs> like Jesus says hard things. He says really hard things. And the worst thing that I could do is to try to underplay the cost of following after Jesus. Because Paul says that all of these other things I used to have, what I figured out was that they were worthless. They were absolutely worthless compared to the prize that I found in following after Jesus. See, the second thing we have to realize if we're going to follow after Jesus and see breakthrough in our lives for the long haul is that the prize of breakthrough is priceless. The price is everything, but the prize, what we attain through giving up our lives to follow after Jesus, is more than we could ever imagine. None of us have as much to give up as Paul. Like for me to say I'm giving up everything, I don't have as much to give up as what Paul had. But still, it's my stuff, so it's hard. But the only way we're going to get to the point where we say, Jesus, the whole life I was living, everything I was working towards, I was working so hard on my education. I was working so hard at my career. I was working so hard to advance. I was working so hard on my family. I was working so hard to accumulate wealth so I could have retirement. I was working so hard on this and that and all of these other things because I was trying to build a life for myself. And now I love these things, Jesus. These things are important to me. I don't want to give up these things. Jesus, I don't want to die to myself. To have to come follow after you. 
The reason why Paul was able to do it is because he had this revelation of how great the prize was that he would receive. Because what he figured out was that what he got out of this deal, what he got out of taking up his cross and following after Jesus and leaving everything else behind, was that he got Jesus. That he says, I get to know Jesus. I get to be one with Jesus. I get to know him more and more every day. The prize that he's running for, says the prize that's awaiting him at the end of this life as he crosses over from this world into eternity, that prize is God himself. Even when we go back to Abraham, I love, I love blessing. Blessing's a great thing. God says, I'm going to pour out my blessing on you, Abraham. I'm going to, make you, I'm going to give you tons and tons of descendants. I'm going to make you a very wealthy person. And the reason why he does this isn't just for ourselves. We think God wants to bless us for us or because we're so awesome. God wants to bless us to bring glory to himself and also to bring blessing to other people. That's why God blesses us, not so that we can just hoard things for ourselves. He blesses us so that we can then bless others and bless all of the nations. Those are all really good blessings that God poured out on Abraham. But God says this, there's my blessing and there's also my reward. And reward is a whole lot better than blessing. And he says, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. I'm going to pour out blessing on you so that you can bless other people. I'm going to pour a blessing on you to accomplish my purposes and my plans in your life. And he does that for every single one of us so that we can accomplish God's plans and purposes for our life. And it's different for every single one of us, which is why we should never compare what we have to someone else. That's why we should never be envious or jealous or like, God, why didn't you give me what they have? Or how come I have? Like, we don't do that because God gives the blessing that every single one of us needs for what he's called us to. But the reward that we all receive from following after Jesus is the same. You know, all of our blessings, they go back in the box at the end of the day. But the reward that we receive, that's eternal. The reward that we receive is Jesus himself. It's knowing him. And this is what Paul says. The reason I'm willing to walk away from everything I once had, the life that I had been building, the things that I loved, the things that I had been pursuing, the things that the accolades and the awards that I received, the ways I was trying to build myself up, the reason I can leave all of these other things behind is because I realized how great the reward is that comes from following after Jesus. And when I compare the reward of following after Jesus to the things that I get from this life that I'm building for myself, it doesn't compare. This is all garbage. This is all trash in comparison. And he said that he would give it all up. He said that he would count his loss as actual gain for himself. It was to his benefit to lose these things so that he could have the true reward, the true prize, which is knowing Jesus. It's knowing him here. It's knowing him now in this life more and more every single day. It's being one with Jesus that kind of intimacy that he's speaking to, that you can be one with Jesus. And it's for the prize that awaits him as he steps from this life into eternity. Now, we're all going to face that day someday, every single one of us. All of the toys that we have, they all go back in the box. Every award, every career, 
every boat we ever bought, our 401k, it all goes back in the box. We ourselves someday will go into a box. And all we'll have is what is for us in eternity. This stuff here on earth, compared to Jesus, it's all garbage. I'll lose everything on this earth, even down to my life itself, so that I can have Jesus for eternity, so I can have him every day of my life here and for all of eternity. And then this is the third thing that he says as he's wrapping it up. He's that the press for breakthrough is relentless. It's a long, it's a long race. Life isn't a sprint. I wish it, well, I'm glad it's not. Like, life is short enough. Let's not make it shorter. <laughs> but we can have a sprint mentality. Like, God, you call me to do something great? I'm going to run real hard, do something. God, where were you? Like, we get 100 yards into the race, and we're like, Jesus, like, where's the reward? Well, it's a 26-mile marathon. Like, you can't quit 100 yards into it. You have to press in. This is what Paul says. All of these things, this oneness with Jesus, this, this knowing him deeply and intimately and being everything he's called me to be and doing everything he's called me to do, I haven't even achieved that yet. I haven't attained it yet. More and more every day I am, but there's still more for me. There's still more for me and that I'll step in to have the fullness of it when I stand face to face with Jesus in eternity. So here's what I'm going to do. Knowing that I still got more miles ahead of me, I'm going to press in. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to put my head back down. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to cast off every hindrance and every weight, everything that's keeping me from following after Jesus and running this race that he's called me to. Some of your trophies and some of your awards and some of your medals, they're too heavy. They're going to slow you down on this race. So what do you do? Get rid of them. Seeking after the approval of other people, that's going to weigh you down. Get rid of it. Even your own family. Now, understand what I'm saying. Some of them say, Jesus told me to leave my wife. Pastor Jeremy agreed with No, no. <laughs> but your family can become an idol. Where you love your family more than Jesus. Where you want to serve your family more than Jesus and you're not willing to follow after Jesus and to make the sacrifices that you need to make. Your job, your career can become a weight that's a hindrance for you on this race. Your education, that's a big one in this town. Your watching football can become a hindrance in this race. Pursuing money can become a hindrance in this race that we're running. The pursuit of pleasure can become a hindrance in this race that we're running. And what Paul says is in light of the prize that awaits us, we cast off everything that's holding us down. If this is keeping me from going after Jesus and finishing this marathon race that I'm running, then I've got to get rid of it because I'm going to press on. I'm going to be relentless in it because it's not 100 yards. It's not 200 yards. It's not a mile. It's every single day we keep on running this race for breakthrough in our life. We keep running this race to know Jesus. We keep running this race to be everything he's called us to be and to do everything that he's called us to do. We keep running this race so that today we know Jesus and we're more one with him than we've ever been before and our love and our passion for him to set a fire inside of our hearts every single day of your life. You never get to the point of where you quit this race until you step into eternity.
And that's when you're going to get the fullness of the prize that awaits you. What's it going to be, though? What are you running for? A couple years ago, I saw this story in the news, and it was a man who was active duty, and I think he did three or four tours. And they were a year each, and every time it meant that he had to leave his family behind. And he was into running, so one time he's back from a tour, and his son got old enough to run, and says, hey, why don't you come run with me? And so they start running together. And they're going out there every day, and they're running together, enjoying time together. It's their thing. And then when he's away on deployment, they communicate back and forth. The son would keep running, and the dad would keep running. And they'd communicate, like, hey, here's my times. Here's how far I ran. And it was that bond that they had. And when they're running, they're thinking of each other, and they feel connected to each other. They're remembering the times that they had together and looking forward to the runs that they're going to have together in the future. On one of the deployments, the son decided that he was going to run a marathon. And so he started training. It was, I think it was about five months that he's training. He's getting ready for this marathon. He's working, and he's working, and he's remembering his dad and how proud his dad's going to be of him for running this marathon. And maybe they'll run a marathon together someday when his dad's home. So he gets there, and he starts the race, and he's running. And 10 miles in, he's checking his pace, and he's realizing, like, I'm doing pretty good. This is faster than I've ever run before. So he keeps going and he keeps checking his pace and keeps realizing that he's actually doing really well. He gets to mile 20, which I hear is where the wall hits you. I've never run that far. And he gets there and he's not tired. He doesn't hit a wall. And he starts thinking, I'm doing really well. I'm going to place. Like, I'm going to place in my age group. I didn't even expect. This is my first marathon, and I'm going to place in my age group. And he keeps going, mile 23, mile 24. He still hasn't hit the wall. And he's going faster, and he's looking at the pace. He's like, I'm going to go as fast as I can, because maybe I won't just place in my age group. Maybe I'll place in the whole race. I'm going to get a medal. I'll be in the paper, all of these other things, the award that's going to come from what it is that he's accomplishing. He gets to the place of where he can see the finish line, and it's in sight. And all the people are gathered around at the finish line, family and friends, to cheer them on and to welcome them. As he gets closer, he begins to see a man in fatigues. He realizes his dad's there. That his dad got leave for two weeks and came as a surprise to be there for him when he crossed that finish line to welcome him into his arms. And he said he started running faster than he's ever run before. And it wasn't for the medal. It wasn't for the accolades. It wasn't for if he'd placed in his group or if he'd placed in the race. All those other things didn't mean anything to him anymore. The only thing that was important was that his dad was there and he was running to the arms of his father who was there waiting for him. You know, we have the same thing as we're running this race. We're not running. It's so tempting to think, I want these accolades. I want these awards. I want pleasure. I want control of myself. I want all of these different things that are so important to me. But when we get the glimpse of that our Father's sitting there and he's waiting for us at the end of the finish line, that he's the prize, that he's the, the reward that we receive, it doesn't matter about the time anymore. It doesn't matter what other people are going to think. It doesn't matter the career we have, the degree we get. And none of those things matter anymore because the only thing that we want is to run into the arms of our Father. Would you stand with me this morning? God, over every single one of us, God, will we have a vision of you? 
a vision of your love for us. A new awakening, a new revelation of it. So that everything else in this world would seem completely worthless. That it would just seem like garbage in comparison. And Jesus, would there be a desire stirred up inside of us to run our race for you, to run our race for the reward that is you, casting off every hindrance, casting off every weight, Jesus, because we want you. Jesus, we're so grateful for healings. We're so grateful for restored marriages. We're so grateful for wisdom. We're so grateful for financial breakthrough. But Jesus, more than all of those things, we want you. this morning maybe there's some weight that you've been carrying in this race some things are going to keep you from seeing breakthrough some things are going to wear down your faith some things are going to make it so you spend your life pursuing the wrong things and pouring all of your effort and all of your energy into stuff that's garbage in comparison. Maybe this morning you need God to come and to break some things in you. Maybe it's some sin issues in your life that you need God to break off because they're weighing you down. Maybe this morning you need to have Him break off some thoughts You know, thoughts can be heavy. The thought that you're not good enough. The thought that you've done too much. The thought that God doesn't love you. That is the worst weight you can carry. Maybe you need that broken off of you this morning so that you can receive the love of the Father for you and see him at the end of the race calling to you with arms open to step into the reward that is him, that is knowing him, that's being one with him. Maybe for some of you, it's heavy sorrow on your heart that you need broken off because it's a weight that's keeping you from following after Jesus. Or it's anxiety or fear. Maybe for you, it's some doubts that have become a weight that are weighing you down in this race. Maybe it's that you've been trying to build other things, your stuff that you thought was so important and you've been putting your life into it and You just need the revelation that it's garbage compared to Jesus because he's so good. That's you this morning, any of those things. And you want God to do some breakthrough in your heart and in your life to position you to be able to follow after him now and forever so that you can take up your cross and be a disciple of Jesus and know him. He's so bold just to raise your hand and say, God, that's me. God, would you come? Would you do something inside of my heart this morning? Just thank you. Thank you for those hands. Our king is here. He sits enthroned on our praises and he's here to work breakthrough in you. He's here to exert his reign, his rule, his power, his authority in you. Jesus, for every hand that was raised, I pray that you would come as the Lord of breakthrough and that you would move. Jesus, would there be a greater revelation of your worthiness, of your goodness. Jesus, that in the light of your glory and your beauty, that everything else we've been pursuing after, that we've attached our hearts to, would just seem worthless, Jesus. 
God, would you stir up passion and desire and hunger inside of our hearts for you and for only you. Jesus, would you turn Radiant Church into a bunch of people who are running free from the weights and the burdens that so easily entrap us, but instead are running just for you, just to take hold of you and everything that you have for us. Jesus, would you come? Would you bring encouragement to our hearts this morning? Jesus, would you come and bring healing to our emotions and to our minds? Jesus, would you come this morning even to bring healing to our bodies? Jesus, would you come and mend the broken pieces of our hearts? Where there's been mourning, Jesus, would there be rejoicing in you? And would there be dancing? Jesus, in the places where there's been doubt, would there be faith? Jesus, in the place where there's been sin, would there be holiness and righteousness? Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would do the things that only you can do because we're coming after you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. They're going to be on the outside aisles here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, if you need some encouragement, you want God to come and do some breakthrough in your life, uh, come, let us pray for you. We see God move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. Uh, also remember on Thursday nights, every night we meet right in here. Let's get together. We worship. We pray. We seek after Jesus. And uh, man, it's awesome. When you get together and you pray, I would... Like Jesus is doing something in Radiant Church this year like he's never done before, like he's here more than he's ever been before and I attribute that directly to the people who are gathering here on Thursday nights to seek after him and to pray for our city and to pray for our church and then we pray for each other. So if you can ever be there, coming out on Thursday nights, let's pray it up, especially in light of, we got thanks, not Thanksgiving, I'm way ahead of myself. <laughs> We got some holiday of some sort coming up. We have Easter coming up next week. Come, let's pray. Let's intercede for our city, for our friends and our family, that Jesus would come and that he would reveal himself, that Resurrection Sunday would be a day of salvation for many. If not, go out there, drink some coffee, make some friends, invite some people, and we'll see you all next week. God bless.